0: Welcome to Season 6, Episode 1 of Siren Sundays, with me, your host, Lashanti the Siren. Just to remind you guys, this show is focused on speaking with researchers, scientists, practitioners of all things environmental, all things conservation. So thank you so much for tuning into our conservation conversation. And today's guest is East Griffin, a.k.a. the Master of Disasters. Welcome to the show.
1: Thank you, Lashanti. I'm very honored to be on your show. I've seen a few of your episodes, and I'm really excited that I got called to be a part of it.
0: And I'm glad you answered the call. I've been very excited to engage you on this show since we sat on that panel together um, for last year's Earth Day panel with the Ministry of Environment. So yeah, great to have you here. Uh, So first, I'd love for you to just kind of talk to our guests about your educational background and your experience that has kind of brought you to getting a master's in disasters, right?
1: Yeah, no problem. So my name is Barry Scriffin and I am the Masters of Disasters. I have a master's degree in disasters adaptation and development from King's College London in the UK. And I have critical or special focus with social perceptions of disasters, social perceptions of risk, human mobility and international development in the disaster management sphere. Um, but my initial degree, my bachelor's degree is actually in economics and am language with a minor in political science. Um, before that, I actually wanted to be a dentist. So it's a lot of <laughs> jumps. To, it's a lot of jumps to disasters. Um, it's an interesting story how I wound up here. So I went to college initially to be a dentist, and then I told myself that I did not want to stay in a lab for the next four years writing lab reports, doing lab work. like I just did not see myself spending my college career doing lab work. So I jumped on the economics um, multi-language bandwagon. So I speak Spanish and Italian. And then economics is great. I love economics. It's actually one of my favorite topics. Uh, Economics is something that you can integrate into all aspects of life, even in the disaster management world. But what really got me into disasters is my last semester in my undergrad degree, I took a course, just a sociology course called the Sociology of Disasters. And so this course was learning about how disasters affect everyone differently. So not everybody experiences disasters in the same way. So it can be the same natural hazard or it can be the same event, but everybody has a different outlook or experience for that disaster. So we were talking about Hurricane Katrina in Louisiana and Hurricane Maria and Irma in Puerto Rico and saying how, depending on your demographic and your social safety net that this disaster that you can experience is very different from your neighbors, depending on race, gender, class, um, financial background, whether you have dependents, whether you have an elderly or child, whether you are um, a migrant, whether you um, are handicapped. all of these things can impact how you experience the same disaster. So that course actually really got me thinking because Coming from the bahamas i'm just like well we have disasters like annually we have hurricanes all the time floods all the time so that got me thinking about where i saw myself working and then eventually i told myself that i could not see myself working in the financial industry for the next 15 years of my life i don't like numbers that much and i just couldn't see myself sitting down doing economic theory for the next 15 years of my life so I took a gap year. I went to China to teach at a university for a year. Mm -hmm. And during that year, I had to really sit down and focus on what were my next steps, life wise, career wise. Where did I see myself in the next 10, 15 years? And what did I see myself doing? And it all went back to disasters because I do like helping people. And I do think disasters are a global issue. So no matter what, there were there was always going to be something to do, something exciting going on. And that's how I ended up in disaster preparedness and management.
0: That's such a colorful background. I, (laughs) yeah, I I really like that you also noted that, you know, tying in economics is important. Um, I'm fascinated by the fact that there was a course about sociology of disasters, because you're right. I think even if we just look at the Bahamas as a case study, people are impacted by just simple hurricanes differently, depending Mm -hmm. on which part of the island you live? Were you fortunate enough to get a piece of the island that's a little higher up than some of the low-lying ends of the island? So we're gonna <laughs> we're gonna get into that. So I know our topic for today is you know natural hazards and disaster preparedness. So when you talk about natural hazards, what is that like? When you hear that term, like what? Because to me, I I just think, well, is it just a hurricane? Like, what is a natural mm-hmm. hazard?
1: So natural hazards are not to be confused with disasters. So In the disaster management community, we like to say that there's no such thing as a natural disaster, because the disaster is how society built itself around a natural hazard. So a natural hazard can be the natural events, climatic or weather-based events that we experience every day. So rain can turn into a flood, depending on how long that it rains. And that is a natural hazard. Hurricanes are natural hazards. We in the Bahamas experience a few natural hazards, but the natural hazard itself does not mean that this is a disaster because just because it rains doesn't mean it's going to be a crisis, but it also depends on how you build your society. So think of an example like a volcano. So we have volcanoes, the earth around volcanoes is rich in nutrients. and It's great for agriculture. The soil is very good for growing crops and farming. And so a small community decides to develop their village, their community next to the volcano or closest to the volcano. And then the volcano decides to erupt. It's only considered a disaster because the people in that community will be directly affected by the volcano. But if nobody lived in that community or nobody lived in the the risk zone, the disaster zone of the volcano, it would just be a natural hazard. It would just be a typical event occurring just as it rains or it's always sunny and things of that nature. So there's no such thing as a natural disaster because the disaster is because how we built our society around the natural hazards. So if it rains and it's raining for a long period of time, it's not a disaster until people decide to build subdivisions and developments in former wetlands and swamps. <laughs> now, everybody's trying to figure out how do we get out of the situation, but The wetland and so on being there was not an issue because they were able to absorb the water. But now because you decided to put your house there, it's a crisis. So it's only a disaster if it impacts people or it depends on if you are in the environmental sciences where you're looking at marine conservation. So you would consider certain events being a environmental disaster based on the species that are being impacted and negatively affected. So that's the difference between... A natural hazard just doing its thing like it always does versus people deciding to put themselves in the path of a disaster of a natural hazard and now we have a disaster.
0: I think that's such a beautiful way to look at it because like I said, like I just thought, oh, a natural disaster was a hurricane. And I think it's such a commonly used term. But really, you're right. It's the way that people have positioned themselves with the environment that creates the disasters. Because mm-hmm. like you said, if we didn't build houses or subdivisions, or even just commercial businesses on areas that are natural wetlands, we wouldn't experience flooding, right? We wouldn't mm-hmm. be devastated by some of the effects of that. Um, and even like you said, with marine conservation, environmental disasters often happen to the animals that can't get away fast enough, or mm-hmm. to you know, like the trees that are kind of just stuck there, because they've chosen to grow in this area. Um, and I think as a society, people, we need to start really considering that, like, we know the nature of the beast, we know how natural hazards are. So we mm-hmm. need to understand now moving forward, you know, how do we build in a way that does not create or cause disasters? So I love that. I love that thinking now, because <laughs> it is it takes, it takes the onus off of the actual natural hazard, right? Right. <laughs> so how would you say that, people moving forward, right? Because obviously society is already built. So like, do you have any sort of recommendations on how people in the Bahamas, in this multi-hazard society, like how can we be more prepared?
1: Um, Moving forward, I think it's important that in, no matter what we do, we have to think about how is this going to impact us in the long run, right? Because we have climate change, we have the climate crisis going on. So we can no longer think that, okay, this building's going to be fine for the next five years. No, we have to think within 30 to 40 years, will this building be standing in the same place that you developed it in? Why or why not? And in that, we just have to be, we have to take more ownership and accountability on our personal disaster preparedness because there's only so much that the government can do. So for my master's thesis, I actually did a study on how people perceive risk And people's perception or their trust in government determines their level of household preparedness, right? So it's like the case in the USA where American citizens usually always trust FEMA to get them out of the situation. So even if the government tells them to evacuate, a lot of people are just like, I'll be fine. And the next thing you know, they're standing on their roof raising like white flags, trying to wave down a helicopter to get them out of this flood disaster zone. But instead of those people, Actually, I don't know, buying life vests, buying a a raft of some nature, a, a safety flare, or even evacuating because all of that is in your level of household preparedness. If you know your area constantly floods, or you know your area is in a disaster zone every time a storm or a hurricane hits, but you still decide to stay there because you trust your government enough to get you out of that situation. That determines your level of household preparedness because you're just like, well, I don't really need to do much because last year FEMA saved me. So this year FEMA's gonna save me again. Mm-hmm. So it's up to us to take ownership into our personal level of disaster preparedness. So the issue with that as well is, although we can do so much, you know, like we can create our disaster kits, we can create our pet disaster kits. My dog has a life vest, but I live on a hill. So I don't really think she needs it, but I'm just buying it just in case. And those things, disasters are unpredictable. So you might think that you have everything on your list, all your checklists and things like that, but then something unexpected or unpredictable happens. And the one thing that you don't have, so you have your disaster kit, now your house is flooded, you don't have a life vest or you don't have a safety rack. Mm -hmm. So There's only so much you can do in your disaster preparedness, but it is still important to do your duty to take care of yourself because the government can only do so much. And it's also your perception of risk. So I know a lot of people in the Bahamas like to be like, oh, we have hurricanes every year, so I don't really feel the need to move or my house had a hurricane last year and I was quite fine. So this year I'm just not going to move. And then this year, we have a Cat 4, Cat 5 hurricane going straight over your island. Your house didn't have that last year. So that was why I was able to withstand the storm. But this storm is different. This storm is moving slower. This storm is more intense. And this storm is just bigger than any of the storms that you've experienced before. So you can't just say, oh, I've experienced this hazard before and I was fine when it happened. But now you have just a different storm, different... Um, variables involved and you don't even have anything prepared. So in a multi-hazard society, it is very hard to be on top of things, you know, like um, having a volcano eruption in the middle of a pandemic. You just can't predict that. That's that's like top tier things you can't really prepare for. Mm-hmm. But in those situations, you still have to do your due your due diligence to make sure that you have all of the the necessary safety equipments that you may have to lessen the severe impact of the hazard that you're experiencing. It's not to say that disaster preparedness means you're ready for whatever, whenever, you know, it's just that I'm ready to have a lesser impact than I would have if I didn't have my supplies and my toolkit.
0: Yeah. And I think, one of the things that was most important, about what you said, is you know the trust in the government. I think even here, um, we don't we have Nema, but mm-hmm. we I feel like are more likely to evacuate. You know, like we already know we need to go to the shelters, and thank goodness we do have several across the country that are mm-hmm. well established. And, and of course, we're helping people, right? Like we we band together in times of disaster, and we make sure that we help each other. But it is important for a person who. Like you said oh last year my house survived you never know right like you never Mm -hmm. know how bad a storm's gonna get until it's too late so it's always better to be safe than sorry and i know we have a couple comments um coming in i know one one person asks my aunt Denise uh do mangroves prevent flooding
1: okay mangroves my favorite (laughs) my favorite (laughs) plant on the planet so mangroves do not prevent flooding but they do assist with lessening the the higher risk of flooding. So having a mangrove swamp. So they act as barriers. So mangrove swamps act as barriers to the storm. So just imagine high winds rolling, the mangroves help slow down. I don't I don't want to say slow down because it gets a bit to interpret it literally like a bunch of mangroves are not gonna slow down an that's actual true. hurricane, yeah. So, But mangroves are beneficial in a lot of ways in that they act as a protective barrier to the the land that it's surrounding and prevents highways from coming in because the amount of water that's going in has a lot of ripples or holes that it has to go through and it eventually slows down that. And it also helps slow down the wind impact off the, the area that it's protecting, but they do not prevent flooding. So.
0: Yeah. I think an important linkage is back to the whole wetlands and like what people like to call swamps. Like those are where areas that typically have mangroves and, and all mm-hmm. of those kind of work together. And I always love to remember an example during a hurricane. I feel like it was Hurricane Irma because that was the one that hit um, Inagua, Ragged, Mayaguana mm-hmm. and Acklands. And I remember um, getting pictures in from Inagua where these flamingos that didn't fly off and leave were actually tightly tucked under mangroves. And like Mm. you said, it's not that they slow the storm down, but right where those mangroves are typically if their roots are strong enough, which flamingos figured out on their own, if you've got right behind it. You're less likely to get hit as hard with that wind because the mangrove Mm. is, you know, slowing that wind energy down. So mangroves are important. And I think a lot of people are starting to learn that these days and hopefully, we can stop people just thinking that these are just nasty swamps. They're very important areas, very important ecosystems. Especially for biodiversity with um, them acting as
1: nurseries for a lot of fish and other marine species too.
0: Yeah. Um, I know we have a really nice comment from Nandi Maynard. Smart, sustainable and resilient building practices are critical. More education and public awareness is needed too. Most people only begin to think of disasters around hurricane season. True. We ought to be prepared year-round for a disaster of any magnitude given climate change. These storms will continue to become more unpredictable. And she gives a lovely well said. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. And I agree. I think yeah, I agree. thinking until June first. <laughs> I agree.
1: But that also goes that also ties into my research that says that we need to be more proactive with hazard education or risk education because just because you experience something doesn't mean you know the the full extent or the impact of it and in a multi-hazard society you find yourself being more knowledgeable about one type of hazard whereas the next hazard you still have no clue or no idea about so we do need to be more proactive in educating the population on the different types of hazards because a lot of people just think we only have hurricanes they don't really consider floods a natural disaster or a natural hazard but they are we also have extreme heat because we are turning at least in new providence we're slowly turning into a concrete jungle so so extreme heat is actually an issue because heat distorts a lot of critical infrastructure and services that we do have so we do need to be more proactive in educating the population on the different types of hazards and the impacts that they will have
0: Can I interject that extreme heat also affects critical thinking? Like (laughs) Nassau, and I won't talk too long on this, but Nassau in some ways is the way that it is because it's just so hot. It's so many buildings. We're so close together. And there, I know there's science out there about it. We ain't talking about those types of hazards though, (laughs) but but it's true. I think it's something to think about, like for new Providence, Mm -hmm. and even the other islands are starting to develop let's try to think of ways to make sure that we still mix some trees and plants in with Absolutely. all of these concretes. Or if we can, I mean, maybe wood is not the best because I know we have to consider hurricane codes and stuff, mm-hmm. but we need more ventilation. We need more shade. We need more trees. We just, we need to make sure that we're not creating this little like sauna on the, middle yeah. of the island where people are now like dying of heat, especially because you know, the power don't like to stay on sometimes. So exactly. So we are slowly turning into a concrete jungle and we do need to incorporate a lot more,
1: green life, green species. Um, just, there, there has to be a middle ground in how we develop our infrastructure and our buildings with the environment.
0: Yeah, and I know that one of the things you noted is that people don't think about things, you know, we are talking about until hurricane season and I think we just recently had a great example of that. There was so much rain, I think it was, last month, out of nowhere. It was definitely before hurricane season. It wasn't in June, mm-hmm. I think or was it? It oh, was, is
1: it? this is July, so it was a little bit of end of
0: May to be middle of June, yeah. Right, and so we do historically have, like, a, a typical rainy season, but mm-hmm. that rain was ridiculous, like, we saw flooding that we usually only see during hurricanes, and I'm sure there mm-hmm. were so many people who weren't prepared, because all they think is, oh, well, hurricanes, it's but hurricane, har- yeah. some people couldn't leave their house, right, and yes. so now here it is, what are you gonna do? You can't get to work, you can't can't get to the food store so it is always it's always important always be prepared
1: <laughs> yes and even the thing about that is that a lot of people are brain um, blaming the drainage system that we have in that so like oh we need proper draining system but think about it like this so it's kind of like a bathtub where you have your drainage system and you also have the water level so the water that's trying to get out is also at the same level of the water that's already there because we do have sea level rise we have high tides and everything so imagine high tide it's flooding the water that's trying to get out is meeting the water that's already there out into the ocean and everything so it has nowhere to go so the drains are backed up because of the rise in sea level as well so it's not that we have leaves like blocking the drainage system and nobody's ever checking to clean it but you also have to think the the difference in sea level rise previously that we had
0: i think another thing is the fact that people forget or don't know you know you can't always assume but we are one of the few islands if not somebody correct me if i'm wrong but nassau for sure we have what is called those freshwater lens you know we have pine trees they only sit on areas that have that fresh water under the surface and like you said sometimes after a lot of rain those are full so mm-hmm. now areas that would normally have been fine because that reservoir is there to just kind of take the rain water it's full and it cannot mm-hmm. anymore and it is things that we just need to be more mindful of like the the type of island that we live on i think like um nandy had said it goes back to education right like if we mm-hmm. understand the geography or even the geology of our island, we're better prepared and we, we better understand how to build houses and businesses and, and all these other sorts of infrastructure that we need to grow as a country. Yes, absolutely. So I know one of the things that I want to, oh, yeah, more green spaces. Yes. <laughs> one thing I, I was super fascinated about when I was doing my little background research on you is some of your research where you were studying human impacts on particularly the Dorian survivors. And as some of you who are watching may know, you know, Hurricane Dorian, impacted the Bahamas, devastated the country in 2019. And there are some people still dealing with the aftermath of that. Um, So can you share a bit about some of the insights that you've learned in your studies on this?
1: Yes, so I think it was 2021 is when I started working with Dr. Adele Thomas, who is in climate change. And she was the director of the Climate Change Adaptation and Resilience. Alliance research center CARR—I think i got that right at the university of the bahamas so she it was conducting a study on the human impact of the 2019 storm hurricane dorian just to understand because after hurricane dorian we tended to look at the economic impact saying that this was gonna cost three point something billion dollars worth just to get recovery efforts off the ground but we weren't thinking about how this storm traumatized people or how this impacted lives livelihoods families just familial bonds and the the state of mind that these people had to go through to survive something like hurricane dorian so The research project was about collecting the human stories of Hurricane Dorian. So we wanted people to talk about their experience. And this was a very hard research project to work on. One, because it was very emotional, listening to people's story. And two, it was just very hard to gather data on this because a lot of people didn't want to talk about their story. A lot of people did not want to talk about what they went through in Hurricane Dorian. They just wanted to go through it and over it. And they were done with it and just trying to move on. So a lot of the human insights were that a lot of people felt lost, hopeless. They couldn't see the the next day coming, the situations that some of the people were in. People were stranded in their houses. People were stuck in roofs of abandoned buildings. They kept saying the flood water was so high. I remember this lady saying that, she was just floating and clinging to a palm tree for their life and then she saw like a starfish swim past her and she was just like, this is how I know the belly of the ocean came onto land because mm-hmm. I've never seen something like me clinging to a tree and just seeing deep sea creatures just swimming past her. And a lot of people just, I think it's just an interesting, Hurricane Dorian is an interesting study in itself to know that we like to say that we're one country The Bahamas is one country, but different islands experience different things. So just knowing that your sisters and your brothers on a family island, a different island, went through that where a lot of the country aren't taking it seriously because they didn't go through it and they didn't feel that impact themselves. It was just an interesting story to see the perspectives from those on New Providence versus those in Freeport and Grand Bahama. I mean, Grand Bahama and Abaco experiencing such a devastating storm. So... The project is still ongoing, so if people would like to tell their stories, they are more than welcome to either have a written submission or an audio upload of their Hurricane Dorian experience, and we would happily publish that on the website. But it just shows the, the human impact of people having to recover from a tremendous experience, a life experience, a, a life-changing event. And having to go back into a sense of normalcy in a country where a lot of people can't relate to what they went through.
0: Yeah, And can you tell us what would be that contact information or that website if someone is interested in, in either sharing or learning stories? Yeah, so you can go
1: on isurvivedorian.org. I-S-U-R-V-I-V-E-D-D-O-R-I-A-N dot O-R-G and you can go there to listen to stories or you can go there to upload the content yourself we also have a little quiz on there just to test your environmental knowledge just to keep you engaged and interactive with the and there's also a documentary a uh, documentary on the website about people's experience of hurricane Dorian on the website that you can watch as well as resources that you can contact if you need assistance with anything or like the mental health hotline is also a resource available on that website.
0: So what would you say, and obviously the study is still going on, so by no means is this, because I know this is a on the spot Mm -hmm. question, but from your sort of knowledge so far, um, what is one of the biggest needs that Dorian survivors have right now?
1: Um, Ooh, that's a good question. I think one of the biggest needs would be, I would say to be heard and understood, but a lot of them don't want to talk about their story. So it's very hard to be heard when you no longer want to talk about your story. But I think the the biggest thing that would help people is to understand as a country, as a nation, as those privileged to not have gone through Dorian versus those who were disadvantaged and had to go through Dorian that... We are one country, we are brothers and sisters, although we are separated by very many islands and keys, we are still one country. So we have to be more empathetic and understanding of the trauma that the survivors of Dorian went through. And we have to be more proactive in how we assist people and how we look at the pain and trauma that they went through, and to provide them with the necessary assistance to help them go through that. Like mental health is a big topic. In this issue because a lot of people are very frazzled like i'm pretty sure that a lot of the survivors of dorian that every time when it rained during that that period that a lot of them get a bit terrified and scared or worried that this is going to happen again to them so Mm -hmm. we just have to be empathetic as a nation and provide a helping hand and a lot more support mental health and financial because people lost everything yeah And people aren't even able to go back to their homes because it's just a complete wash. Um, A lot of people didn't have insurance. A lot of people just completely lost everything. So we need to be more understanding, helping and empathetic to those survivors of Dorian.
0: Definitely. Um, And and you made a really good point with the insurance thing. I know a lot of people, they kind of take house insurance and stuff for granted, but Mm -hmm. definitely if, if you can afford it, do it, you know, it's, it's nothing to spend a couple i don't know 100 a month to ensure that if something were to happen to you you know you you have something there yeah. uh, but definitely if you i put the website in the comments check it out um, and if you know people who are interested please you know have them reach out um, and i do know a few of my friends that survived dorian and just like you said even just the rain if it just rains a little too hard, just a little too long, yes. it's almost like they get flashbacks. I yes. even have a friend um, that survived Hurricane Maria and Dominica. And same thing, if it just rains and and you don't even realize it and you don't think about it and it's not present until you're in that moment. And now here it is. You, you have this like post-traumatic, you know, syndrome response. Or- so I do think it, it like you said, it's, as a country, we need to be we need to be a little bit more empathetic. Um, we need to be more aware that yes, some of us have been fortunate that it didn't happen to us. Yes, it mm-hmm. didn't hit new Providence, but it hit a part of our country. This was a part of our lifeline. So
1: mm-hmm.
0: yeah, but um I know you talked a bit about how people can get involved with the Isa Dorian stuff. What about for you, the master of disasters? How can people maybe follow some of your other work? How can viewers get involved? Do you have internships or opportunities where people can maybe <laughs> under you like someone who would be interested in studying some of the same things
1: um no unfortunately at the moment no internships available that would be great to have but we're a starter company so we're in the beginning phases of these things so these are great um milestones that i would like to eventually hit but master of disasters does have a blog um on the blog i provide Safety and preparedness tips as well as some op-ed pieces, just opinions on the state of the Bahamas in terms of the climate fight and the disaster hazard fight. So you can check out my blog. Maybe there's some safety tips or some things that you didn't think about. For example, one of my blog posts is always keep emergency cash on hand because... Mm -hmm. Although the Bahamas is steadily trying to move to a cashless or a non-cash-based society, cash still is king, especially with the yeah. lack of strong internet connection everywhere. Sometimes and the ATMs aren't always reliable. So it is always important to keep an emergency cash stash on hand just in case you have to run to the store and get the essentials and you're unable to use a card or or go to the ATM or even like e-pay apps and stuff like that. So. Yeah. Um, in terms of being involved, now that you say it, um, I would actually invite people, if you are interested in being a guest blogger from my website, because it is getting a bit swamped with work on this master of disaster business, I'm trying to keep the blog afloat with new articles and new ideas, but I would definitely welcome some guest bloggers if you have anything related to disaster preparedness, um, and disasters of all walks of life, I'm not Just a natural hazard disaster specialist. I can also do um, man-made disasters, Mm -hmm. bioterrorism, threats, cybersecurity. All those things are considered disasters, depending Mm -hmm. on how you look at it. Yeah, so like I said, disasters is all-encompassing. It's not just natural hazards. It could be cybersecurity, um, your bank getting hacked, so all of your personal information is gone down the drain and being sold on the dark web somewhere, Mm -hmm. or just... Bioterrorism, even marine disasters. I read recently um, something about the coral species in the Bahamas being under attack by some disease or some so virus. Viruses, disease. Disease. Yes, it's yes. So that's a disaster because coral reefs are a huge lifeline to our way of life and our our societal livelihoods and everything too. So that's a disaster. So. These are stuff that I'm not particularly educated or aware about, but I still would like people to know about those things. So if anybody is interested in being a guest blogger for my blog, I welcome you with very wide open arms.
0: Because even COVID,
1: right, would be considered that as well. Yeah, epidemics and pandemics are definitely health disasters. So all of this is in the realm of the massive disasters. But like I said, I cannot be everywhere at once, and I cannot study every single type of disaster. So if we do have specialists in these areas that would like to guest blog for the website, I would greatly appreciate it.
0: Lovely. And before we start wrapping up, we did get another question and um, related to the heat. Uh, are these tornadoes or water spouts becoming more frequent in this area because of the heat? I I don't know if you can answer that. I'm not as familiar with the formation of water spouts, but... Mm-hmm. Are- um, I'm not a meteorologist, but
1: the heat does have something to do with the formation of or the frequency, climate change, with the frequency and intensity of these water spouts happening. Water spouts have always happening, but to the degree where now they're moving on land because water spouts happen and water and tornadoes happen on land, but they're the mm-hmm. same event to the degree that they're happening. It's, it's, it's an issue. It's something to look into. But like I said, I'm not a meteorologist, so I can't really answer that question.
0: No, no, definitely understood. I just know that it, it is a hot topic right now. We recently saw mm-hmm. a water spout that came onto land. And I don't, mm-hmm. I, I always, I'm very careful when I say this has never happened before when it comes to natural hazards because it's just never been documented. Like we do not know back in the 60s, 50s, 40s, 20s what was really happening oh, when people were yeah. just. Not, Keeping documents and records the same way that we do today. Um, mm-hmm. So I always like to tell people: Is this happening more, or are we just spreading it, the awareness of it more? Right, like mm-hmm. with all sorts of different things. So yeah, um, but yeah. So a nice, fun question for you: Who is Great. someone in the sector, whether that be someone who is n- local or international, that inspires you in your work, and why?
1: Um someone that inspires me, I would definitely have to say Dr. Adele Thomas. She is a Bahamian researcher in climate change, but she's very well known globally. And I would say that she inspired me because when I first graduated, fresh with a degree and eager, bushy-tailed, bright-eyed, I was getting either cold emails, no answers, no calls, like nothing, just radio silence and I was just like wow what am I going to do fresh with a degree and nothing and she gave me my first opportunity to really get into the research realm in the Bahamas and get into this field in the Bahamas and just watching her work is such an inspiration like she's a beast when it comes to climate change knowledge and information she is so knowledgeable And she's just so friendly and so nice. So I definitely admire her as a professional and as a person Mm and the work that she does. And she definitely assists me with giving me like professional pep talks every once in a while. So I definitely would look up to Dr. Thomas.
0: Oh, she is someone that I'm trying to get on this show as well. Um, (laughs) Which I've heard so many great things about her and I'm sure one day I'll have someone on my show and they'll say you. You're the one that inspired <laughs> them and that they're so admire, admiring of you. But mm-hmm. do you have any final thoughts for our viewers? Maybe just whether it be life lessons from the field or just important um, important tips that people normally don't hear. Okay, um, last and final words to the viewers. I would
1: always tell you that disaster preparedness starts with you in your household. Make sure you are up to date on your supplies. Just because so far it's been a semi-quiet hurricane season does not mean that that any other natural hazard isn't liable to pop up. Like we said, hurricanes aren't the only thing. You have floods, you have extreme heat, and you have water spouts floating around everywhere. Um, I would also tell you to stay ready so you don't have to get ready. That is my motto (laughs) that I live by. So,
0: yeah. Yeah, I do. I hear that. That's a behemothism I hear a lot. (laughs) You stay ready, you gotta get ready. Exactly. (laughs) Awesome. Well, thank you so much for being on this show. And like a uh, wonderful onset, this was a great start to the season. Very informative. We are still in hurricane season. And I feel like hurricane season, based on the impacts of climate change, it may move, right? Like I think that might be a thing. One Yeah, day. a lot of
1: unpredictable stuff is already happening. And then it's the Eastern Pacific hurricane season is not to be confused with the Atlantic hurricane season. But so far, there has been a lot of overlay between the two like in the eastern pacific agatha crossed over land and her remnants turned into tropical storm alex in the atlantic and even tropical storm bonnie which was moving through costa rica is now in the eastern pacific still being a tropical storm so we have a lot of crossover events between the hurricane season so it's all it's it's busy it's not
0: quiet but it's busy it's it's picking up a big shout out to you. Continue to do well. You are an inspiration. Thank you. Uh, yeah. So thank you everyone for watching this show. Uh, I hope you continue to ride the wave with us. If you don't get to watch the episode now, we'll be up on Facebook, YouTube, and on all our podcast platforms. Thank you again, Baris. I am looking forward to having you come back again and um, hearing more about the master disasters and any other work that you were doing and just staying connected in general. Our sector is so small and we need to be mighty. So thank you awesome. to all the viewers and I will see you all next time. Time. Thank you.